The Mariners make moves. Want to trade with the Baltimore Orioles? Bolstering the rotation. Giovanni Gallardo adding speed. Dyson out at first base. There he goes. Pitch on the way inside a ball. It's safe at second is Dyson. Upgrading the outfield. Caught with a diving catch by Dyson. What's next for the Mariners? Time to talk some baseball. This is the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle. 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to Hot Stove Baseball for 2017, our first edition of a brand new season. Hello again, everybody. I'm Rick Riz, along with Shannon Dreyer, Aaron Goldsmith, Producer engineer Kevin Kremen and Maddie Harden in the control room. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about on our first uh, hot stove uh, of the year. A lot going on, of course, uh, with this baseball team, Jerry DePoto. We're going to have Jerry on for the first hour, two hours of talking Mariners baseball tonight. And then in the second hour, we're going to visit with, uh, from the Seattle Times, Larry Stone talking about the moves that Jerry has made, the way this ball club is coming together, and also Edgar Martinez gaining more and more momentum to try to get into the Hall of Fame. But, guys, Shannon Dreyer, Mr. Goldsmith, Happy New Year. Shannon, uh, I'll tell you what, I'm excited about uh, a brand-new season. Happy New Year, sweetie. Happy New Year to you, too, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> That's new. Like Welcome it. Welcome to a good year. <laughs> hey, honey bunch there. over there. How you doing? Yeah. Hi, Aaron. <laughs> Happy New Year to you, too, buddy. Thanks. Thanks, yeah. man. Everybody have great holidays, Christmas. and, and uh, They're great. Good to, good to be talking some baseball again. Jerry, the two moves recently, uh, Giovanni Gariardo. Two? Yeah, uh, recently. <laughs> okay, okay. I said recently. You know, coming over from the Orioles and that trade for Seth Smith. And also, I really like this one, too, Gerard Dyson, the speedster, coming over from the Kansas City Royals and that trade for Nathan Carnes. And uh, Shannon and Aaron, this is a, a something that really gives uh, the ball club a new dynamic of, of running the bases, stealing bases, the tremendous speed that Dyson brings along with Leonis Martin and also Gene Segura, who stole, what, 33 bases. Those, this is going to be a fun team to watch. Those three combined last year to steal 30 more bases than the entire Mariners team did. Yeah. So it's a different aspect. It's an aspect that they wanted to have last year. We saw them work on it in spring training, and it's one of the things that Scott Service admitted at the end of the year. Okay, we've got to go back to the drawing board on that. They, they want that yeah. to be a part of the team. The athleticism is something that DePoto has wanted you know, since he's been here. It's tough right. to accomplish it all in one year, but you got to like what you see on paper in that aspect. And, Aaron, we're talking about Jerry DePoto's made, what, 34 trades involving, what, 85 players since he took over the reins in September of 2015. This guy has been busier than any GM in baseball. A distant second is uh, the new GM in uh, Atlanta. Well, he's not lazy, is he, Jerry? No. That is. No, he's, uh, you're right. He's very active. And I think getting back to the Dyson deal, it's, it's so funny how when Jerry took over, he – he, and we'll be able to talk to him about this coming up in the next segment. Jerry very clearly put out his blueprint for the Mariners going forward, and we know that it can take more than just a season uh, and, and off season to get a blueprint together. Uh, and the Mariners were that slugging, home-run-hitting team last season that the Mariners were kind of trying to get away from, and it just kind of happened. And so now you can see with a little bit more time and a little more creativity, like, like Jerry hasn't lacked that already, yeah. he's bringing in more and more pieces that are – going to have an outfield now with five pieces that you really maybe it's not fair for us to say we'd feel comfortable with any of them playing center field since we haven't seen all of them play yet yeah. um but certainly dyson's a guy who uh, if martin is in center field and if dyson is in left uh, 
find me a faster left fielder and a guy who can cover more ground. It's going to be a, a remarkable outfield for the Mariners this coming season. And Scott Service will have speed at the top of the order, whoever he puts there, Gene Segura or Dyson. And um, and it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun team to watch. And then he picks up a veteran pitcher, starting pitcher, in Giovanni Gariardo from uh, Gariardo from the Baltimore Orioles. Hurt last year, so he spent some time on the disabled list. But you take a look at his numbers. When this guy was healthy, he gave you innings, uh, quality innings. He kept you in a ball game, Shannon. And and Jerry had to go out and get that veteran starting pitcher, and he found that guy in Gallardo. Yeah, and he was able to kind of deal from an area of strength, too, in, in that you know you have these young outfielders. You, you can make the deals that you need to, to get this pitcher right now, which is a challenge this year. It was a terrible pitching market. And he was able to, what I like about Jerry, and we've seen this from him before, he's not going to be constrained by what the free agent market is. Yeah. And it's, he's going to rather target and trade for what he needs rather than try and make fit in what he can buy. And Gallardo, it's not the splashiest name, but the consistency that was there up until he got hurt, up until he missed part of spring training this year, got a late start. A lot of things that can change, let alone you know the AL East ballparks, tough place to play too. If he can kind of somewhere fall between what he had been before and what he did last year, that's all they're asking. Exactly, in that in that spot. And and Aaron, there's going to be a lot of competition after Felix and Iwakuma and Paxton and now Gallardo. You have Miranda, who was very impressive last year. You have uh, Chris uh, Heston coming over from the uh, San Francisco Giants. Also hurt a little bit last year, but was very impressive two years ago, throwing a no-hitter. And uh, also, guys, you got competition for that number five spot and hopefully more depth. And I don't think Jerry's finished by any means yet. No, and we doesn't Gallardo kind of a little bit remind you of getting Wade Miley? Hopefully the results are a little bit different, but from the standpoint of not a flashy guy, a guy who eats innings, who's had a track record of 200 inning seasons like Miley had, uh, obviously it was a difficult time for Wade in Seattle. And not to say that the results are going to be the same, but they're kind of similar from what they give a rotation in terms of the hopefully the consistency and the innings. And as we know, Jerry is going about each offseason with a grand total of innings pitched number in front of him and trying to check it off kind of 200 innings at a time, 180 innings at a time. Yeah. And this is a bullpen that last year went from, in some ways, kind of a soft-tossing bullpen to a fire-breathing bullpen, and that's the bullpen that the Mariners looking right now like they will begin with this season. So the bullpen appears to be an element of, of somewhat pretty good strength, especially with Diaz in the ninth inning. And now it's just all year season. long. Right, and now it's this issue of depth, right? The Mariners went into spring training last year with depth in the rotation, and as it turned out, they used more starting pitchers than they ever had in any season in franchise history. Yeah. So we know that just because you have depth doesn't mean that you're not going to need a lot of – to use a lot of those pitchers, if not use ones uh, that we don't even know about right now. So depth at start in the rotation is certainly something I know Jerry's going to be working on still. And one more note, too, about Gallardo. With uh, Milwaukee for a number of years – and with Texas a couple of years ago, this guy won 13, 14, 17, 13 games, 16 games a season, and averaged 32, 33 starts a year. So. I'm sure Jerry will talk about this a little bit, but we did have an opportunity to talk with Gallardo after he um, after the trade, and uh, I think a lot of this came through. But the word on him, very much a competitor, um, very much – a student of where he is in his pitching, that he is somebody that works through things. He's not just a workhorse in terms of innings, but he's a guy, he's, he's a couple years old, well, we all are, but he's 30 now, and he's kind of made that transition. He's a little bit different of a pitcher than he was before, but he's continually finding ways to make it work. And uh, I think the competitiveness and also a little bit of, of just kind of the head part and, and being able to kind of figure things out, that's a very important aspect 
of a pitcher. Yeah. When you get out there and things are going wrong and you have no clue why, that's a problem. It sounds like he's veteran make enough to work. You make adjustments. Exactly. exactly. And a lot to talk about tonight, uh, especially for your kids out there. We're going to have uh, – you can sign up your little sluggers this year for the 2017 Mariners Kids Club. And that's going to be fun out at Safe Goal Field. For full details on how you can become a member of the Mariners Kids Club, log on to mariners.com slash kids club. We have the Mariners Caravan going on. It started uh, yesterday with the trip out east. I'm going to be joining up on the caravan uh, tomorrow morning in Spokane. And uh, they've gone to Wenatchee, Walla Walla, and Spokane, and every point north and south. We're going to visit 24 communities over the next uh, three weeks. And we're also going to visit with Dan Altavilla on the show tonight, uh, Danny's on the caravan. What a what a year this kid had uh, in the big leagues for the Mariners working out of the bullpen. So we're going to visit with uh, Danny tonight. And also a reminder that Fan Fest isn't that far away. It's set. Oop, excuse me. It's uh, Saturday. <laughs> My glasses hit the mic. What are you laughing at, Maddie? Uh, Saturday and Sunday, January 28th and 29th. And uh, the players that you can come by and say hello to, visit with, Gene Segura, who the Mariners just recently acquired right around Thanksgiving, uh, the talented uh, Shortstop, uh, who Jerry acquired from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Leonis Martin will be there. James Paxton, Mitch Hanniger, also who was involved in that trade uh, for Taiwan Walker. Danny Valencia, who's going to see some playing time over at first base. Giovanni Gallardo. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be a great fan fest, as it always is. January 28th and 29th out at Safeco Field. Welcome to our first edition of Hot Stove Baseball, live from the 710 ESPN studios here in Seattle. We're going to be back with Mariners general manager, Jerry DePoto, right after this timeout. Back to the hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, streaming everywhere and on demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. This reminder, everybody, when you head out to Safe Gold Field this year for Mariners Fan Fest on January 28th and 29th, you can take part in season tickets, select a seat. You choose the best seats for a full or 20-game plan season ticket package. Mariners representatives will be on hand to find the perfect seat for you to catch Mariners baseball this season. So head to FanFest the 28th and the 29th this month and join the club as a Mariners season ticket holder. Hello again, everybody. Rick Reed, Shannon Dreher, Aaron Goldsmith, producer engineer Kevin Kremen and Matty Harden. And we're going to be visiting with uh, Mariners general manager Jerry DePoto here in the next uh, minute or so because uh, he's always busy. Just made the trades uh, recently for Giovanni Gariardo coming over from the Orioles in that deal for Seth Smith. Seth Smith, great guy. Did a nice job for this ball club in the last couple of years from the left side of the plate. But uh, the other trade we're very excited with, Gerard Dyson, coming over the, from the Kansas City Royals for Nathan Carnes. And uh, to put him out there in the outfields we talked about and in that starting lineup uh, gives the uh, ball club uh, a lot more speed at the top or the bottom part of the order, so we're really looking forward to that. Spring training, just right around the corner. Spring training dates have been announced. Shannon, uh, February 15th, pitchers and catchers report, one of the biggest days in all of baseball. When are you going down to spring training? I believe I'll be there on the 18th with the first full squad on the 19th. It seems like things are getting going a little bit more compressed because of the WBC. That's right. Which uh, should be a pretty fun story to follow as well during spring training. Yeah, you got a lot of the guys going to be playing in the World Baseball Classic. Uh, Puerto Rico is going to have a great team. Edwin Diaz will be on that. Yeah, and uh, the United States uh, uh-huh. should have, a, again, a really strong ball club. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, the World Baseball Classic, uh, coming up uh, during the course of the uh, the month of March. Well, we have with us uh, Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto. Jerry, thanks for joining us again tonight. 
Oh, my pleasure, guys. Good evening. Good evening, and Happy New Year, buddy. Before we start talking about uh, the recent trades uh, that you made for Gallardo and also uh, Dyson, uh, when do you go down to spring training? When does it all start to, for you to actually leave Seattle and get down to Peoria, Arizona? Uh, right now, me and Tord leaving, all about the eighth or ninth, and I'm actually going to drive down and uh, you know make sure we have an extra car down there. We've got a we got a couple of bulldogs that, that don't like to fly, <laughs> so we'll take our time and get down there. Right about that time, we're going to have kickoff meetings on the 13th and be ready to go with the, the players on the field on Valentine's Day. And before spring training, uh, tell us a bit about uh, this was a big success, I think, last year, the hitting and the pitching summits. Tell us about that. Well, we, we currently have our pitching summit going on down in Peoria. It started yesterday. And, you know, Scott Service, Mel Stottlemyre, our our player development people, Andy McKay, Mike McCucci, our new pitching coordinator, Oscar Marine, are all down there. Uh, I unfortunately was not able to, to get there for the pitching summit this year, but I will be there next week for the hitting, which starts next Monday. Similarly, uh, Scott with our with our hitting folks will be down there. And you know, some of it is classroom time. Uh, some of it is gym time. Some of it is getting on the mound time. But Right now we have a smattering of guys that are on the 40-man roster, some guys that are new to the organization, like a Max Posey and Rob Whalen, uh, some guys that are returning from last year or are first-time roster players, like a Paul Fry or Diego Vieira, and, and, and a lot of the younger players, the Andrew Moores and, and Nick Neiderts, et cetera. So you know, a really good group of, of players down there. I've talked to, to Scott and to Andy and in the lap about both in the last two days and you know, they couldn't have enough good things to say about what's going on and similarly with the hitters uh you know next week we'll be down there and we anticipate that there'll be some 40-man players down there as well and and uh it's we're looking forward to it it was a real success for us last year to talk through philosophy to get guys in the mode of of thinking about team baseball and and it worked, and and we're gonna we're gonna go back to the well since it worked so well the first time. Hey Jerry, Aaron Goldsmith here. You mentioned uh, Rob Whalen's name, and one of the moves you made tra- trading a young Alex Jackson to Atlanta. You get Whalen Posey as well in the mix to come back. Really young, only 22 years old. Last year's major league debut. Can you kind of take us through the crop of guys that you have right now, Whalen included, that? you will be going to camp this year with as potential candidates for the back end of that rotation? Yeah, well, I guess I'll start with, with Ariel Miranda, who you know, last year was effectively our fifth starter in September and really did a heck of a job for us. And, you know, came over, joined us, and, and for really August and September was at times our best pitcher. Uh, had a very good run, and, and he's athletic. He threw strikes. He, he's up to 97 with his fastball, averaged about 93, and and uh, had both a, a split and a changeup that we felt like worked very well. Obviously, we picked up uh, we picked Ariel up in a, the Wade Miley deal with Baltimore last July, and you know with the Rob Whalen you mentioned, one of the the trades that happened for us earlier in the off season that I think flew under a lot of radar was the, the deal with the Braves with Alex Jackson and the two pitchers coming back our way. Rob Whelan's one of them. And, and you know, Rob's going to be 23 this, this year. He made a climb through three levels, started at AA last year and finished in the big leagues. 
and really just dominated the top two levels of the minor leagues between double A AA and triple A, tore it up and, and did make a half a dozen starts at the end in Atlanta for the Braves. And, you know, it's easy to look at his major league numbers and then feel disappointed with the performance. But as a 22-year-old kid who started in double A and made his way to the big leagues, there's there's a lot there to be excited about. He is uh, he's a real good competitor. He's athletic. Uh, he does pound the down part of the strike zone with sinkers and, and has a, an extremely high ground ball rate. So you got a guy who strikes him out and generally keeps it on the ground, and that's a good thing. And, and in addition, we picked up Max Posey in that deal, who is a also a starting pitcher candidate for us. He pitched at two levels last year, finishing double A. He is about on the same track with roughly a similar performance to this point in his minor league career as Andrew Moore, who uh, who's already in house. And the difference with Max is Max is six foot eight, uh, throws an extreme downhill plane, uh, fastball ranges between eighty nine and ninety five, and uh, it's been compared to a young Doug Fister or uh, and he pounds the strike zone, he gets him to hit it on the ground and. Uh, it's a combination of strikeouts and ground balls again from from a particularly tall and, and well angled pitcher. Both of them are pretty polished. They, they've done good things through the minors levels and and probably deserve a chance. And I guess lastly in that group was with Waylon Posey. You can even count Andrew Moore, who I've mentioned many times uh, throughout the course of this off season and just in the time I've been with the Mariners. Very impressive young guy. We've got a, the fastball changeup. Is are the primary two, a breaking ball he can throw for a strike in any count. He'll touch 93, 94, pitches at 91 with his fastball. We, we love his touch and feel, and he just knows how to pitch and compete. And he's going to come to big league camp and, and feel like he has a chance to, to show to show up and surprise some people with, with how far his development has come. And uh, additionally, we picked up Chris Hest at the winter meetings from the Giants, as most notably a guy who threw a no-hitter for the Giants uh, in New York in June of 2015. Had a very good season for the Giants that year, uh, particularly the first five months before he ran out of gas down the stretch. But Chris is a, a controllable righty, uh, throws a ton of strikes, similar theme. He gets a lot of ground balls, probably not as big a strikeout guy, but more of a ground balls guy with touch and feel, another pretty good athlete. And between Chris and, you know, Heston, Ariel Miranda, Andrew Moore, Max Posey, Rob Whalen, and then I could throw Ryan Yarbrough, who was the Southern League's Pitcher of the Year last year, in that mix. We like our group of young players, the depth, somewhere between AA, AAA, and the big leagues. We're going to have a nice array of young pitchers who can mix and match in that five spot. And we'll look to, to add to that group by the time we get to spring training. The competition for the fifth starter will be something that we enjoy watching throughout the spring. But, Jerry, what about one through four, the veteran group that you have there? How would you characterize what you have, and what do you need to see from this group? Yeah, I'll start at the top with Felix. And, you know, we've talked about this before, and I I guess the, the, the easy thing to do with Felix is to cite his season last year as different than the others. But from a rates perspective, we were, if Felix Hernandez shows up and doesn't have, doesn't jump off the bench to celebrate a home run against the Padres and effectively goes out there and, and pitches his 200 innings like he does every other year in his career, 
it looks an awful lot like the same guy from 2015 when he finished seventh in the Cy Young and won 18 games. So, you know, we're not we're not looking for the sky to fall on Felix. <laughs> it's a uh, we're we're anticipating that he comes back and he makes his 32, 33 starts and and you know it, it, he doesn't have to be Cy Young Felix Hernandez to pitch like an ace. There's I guess there's being a number one and then there's being a super number one and. We're confident in Felix's ability to navigate through a major league lineup, his experiences, and and his physical stuff. You know, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that his, his curveball, slider, and changeup are still particularly effective pitches in this league. And uh, it's, uh, we saw it last year in in the second half when Felix was on with those pitches, he was still as tough as he's ever been. And you know, we have faith that he'll be able to pull the sled. We've got uh, Hisashi Iwakuma, who's coming off a really solid year, uh, 199 innings and 16 wins. And, and uh, you know, Kuma, Kuma knows how to navigate through a lineup as well as any pitcher in the league. Uh, Scott and I have talked about this, and uh, he can slow it down. And that's been, his, that's been his bread and butter. When trouble starts, he knows how to back off and, and go soft instead of hard. And in this league, that can be particularly effective. We saw a great step forward from James Paxton last year. Uh, the casual observer, I guess, could look at Paxton and see a guy who threw 120 innings, and, and this isn't an acceptable number three starter. He's not durable. Uh, the truth of the matter is that Paxton did throw a, a complete season, and his, his innings total got him into the 170s, and we're very confident that he can repeat that, if not build on it. We saw a huge step forward from his, uh, and from a velocity standpoint and from a consistency standpoint. Uh, so we're excited to see what James brings. And, and Giovanni Gallardo did not have a good year in Baltimore. There's, there's no question it was the worst year of his career. Uh, he is going to be just 31 years old. And for the eight years prior to last year, he was about as consistent as anybody in the league in delivering that 185, 195 innings with, with a dozen, 13 wins and a sub. Uh, 350 ERA. So uh, he was that guy in 2015. We're banking on the fact that he can get closer to that. So that's uh, a you know bigger ballpark. What we think is going to be a very good outfield defense and and a different division to pitch in than the American League East that he's familiar with. I, I think it'll be a breath of fresh air for Yvonne and and that'll be how our first four line up. And and frankly the the question on innings Felix has always been a roughly a 200 inning guy actually more than that Kuma is coming off a 200 inning season Paxton was built up to 170 and and Giovanni Gallardo averages close to 185 innings a year so you know if all four of them stay healthy and I know it's a big if in anybody's rotation we like our chances with those guys Jeremy we have so much ground to uh, cover we're going to keep you for another segment. We'll be back with Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto here in Hot Stove Baseball 2017 right after this timeout. Spring training will be here before you know it. Time to talk some baseball on the Hot Stove. On the home of the Mariners, 710 ESPN Seattle and the 710 Seattle Sports app. And welcome back to Hot Stove 2017. Rick Bray, Shannon Dreyer, Aaron Goldsmith. Producer engineer Kevin Kremen, Matty Hart, visiting with Mariners general manager Jerry DePoto. And Jerry, before we get uh, more into uh, what this ball club is looking like in 2017, we're going to go to a, our social media question of the night. And this comes from at PNWS Sports Guy asks, 
Who is a candidate to be called up later in the season and make an impact like Zunino Heredia Diaz did last year? Well, I think there are quite a few of them. I, I, I mentioned in the last segment Andrew Moore certainly stands out as, as potentially being one of those guys uh, coming off our minor league pitcher of the year, uh, projects to start at the at the minor league levels, but could surprise people in spring training. Uh, another guy I mentioned when we were talking about the the pitching summit was uh, Diego Vieira. He had a huge arm. Uh, we added him to the 40-man roster. Like Edwin Diaz, he pitched it in A-ball last year. Uh, we anticipate him starting this year at AA with Arkansas. But you know, it's a, and when you're averaging about 100 miles an hour with your fastball, it, you tend to come quickly. Uh, from a positional player perspective, tough right now to see where the room will be to, to find the at-bats. But uh, really excited about Tyler O'Neill being on the doorstep. Uh, very good chance he will be in spring training. Uh, very good chance that he starts the season in Tacoma. And you know, when you're when you're that close to the big leagues, both geographically, it's it's a phone call away. And uh, coming off a phenomenal year and a fantastic uh, Arizona Fall League, and, and really like the progress that Tyler's made. So that's 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 three guys right there that I think could could surprise. There you go. That's our social media question of the night. And fans, you could submit your. Own questions for our guests every week. Just follow the at Mariners on Twitter to learn more. Jerry, a quick question, uh, you know, uh, about uh, Gerard Dyson. I mean, we, we've seen this guy for years with the Kansas City Royals, and I know you've been talking with uh, the Royals about uh, Gerard Dyson for weeks. And uh, what does he bring to this ball club in your mind? I think he brings energy. Uh, there's, a, there's a little bit of brashness to his style. That I think our, our club will appreciate. And as much as anything else, he brings speed. And uh, and, that, and it happens. Speed happens for him. And from from the time he enters the clubhouse and and he starts talking to the time he gets out on the field and he plays defense and runs the bases, steals bases, and he does it with a little bit of a flair. He's, he's a fun player to watch. And we feel like with, you know, he serves as an igniter. You know, I, it, obviously Scott and the staff will have to sort through exactly how they'd like to build the lineup. But the combination of Leonis Martin, Jared Dyson, or Gerard Dyson, uh, and, and Gene Segura hitting 9-1-2 in some combination is pretty exciting for us. I mean, that's, on average, that's about 100 stolen bases a year for those three guys or something in the neighborhood. And, but I think they're all cresting. You know, Gene's obviously coming off of the best season of his career. I think Gerard Dyson is coming off the best season in his career. And, and Leonis Martin had a nice bounce back for us last year. So, you know, those three guys, the, the element of speed and defense they bring and, and really the, the, the catalyst-type uh, effect of Gerard Dyson is one of the, the appeals in acquiring him. You also mentioned uh, how he, he's a little bit of a talker and he's loud. That ought to be kind of a combination with Martin, I would imagine, as well. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. I, it's a, you know, I've, I've heard so many good things about Dyson, and uh, speaking with him on the phone on Friday, he's immediately so easy to like. I think uh, after we made the trade or once we had agreed on the trade, I spent about 40 minutes on the phone with Dayton Moore, and and it was, I would say 30 of those minutes were, were Dayton filling me in on, on what Gerard Dyson is about and, and how much he is liked in Kansas City from Dayton to Ned to, to the fan base. 
the, the players love him. He was a bit of a clubhouse leader there and kind of their source of energy. And I, I, we're just really excited to get him. I know Scott enjoyed the conversation he had with him. And this is a guy who's wired to win. And I, I funny, quick, funny story. I had, uh, we were talking, uh, I was walking him through the way we planned on using our, our position player group. And, and once I was done, he said, Jerry, I, I don't care what you ask me to do. I'll play wherever you want me to play as long as we win. I said, can you pitch? He said, I'm not sure it's the best way to use my speed, but I'll give it a shot. Jerry DePoto, Mariners General Manager, is our guest here on the hot stove. And, Jerry, I want to talk to you about the, the opposite of Gerard Dyson, and that is the home run ball. And We saw a sign of the apocalypse last year. There were more home runs hit at Safeco Field than any other ballpark in the major leagues, and the spread in some cases was was kind of significant. Four more than Yankee Stadium. Okay, that's pretty slim. 15 more home runs at Safeco Field than at Camden Yards. 21 more home runs at Safeco Field than in Arlington at Globe Life Park, home of the Texas Rangers. So it's not like they were just scraping past some of these home run-friendly ballparks. This certainly caught all of us by surprise, given your comments preseason in Peoria and those of Scott Service as well. It sounds like it caught you guys by surprise as well, despite a lineup that we know can generate the long ball fairly easily in some parts. How do you see that number changing Staying the same, I'm guessing changing going into this season with the personnel group that you have. Well, I guess first, some of that, or or I don't want to say all of it, some of that had to do with the fact that going into the season, we really loaded the lineup full of left-handed hitters. And, and many of those hitters had home run power, whether it's Kyle Seeger, Robinson Cano, Adam Lynn was a 20-homer guy, Seth Smith chipped in his 15-ish, we had guys that, that could launch, you know, Leonis Martin, a career high in home runs. And the, the, the left-hand home run hitter at Safeco Field has always been doable. And, you know, we had a, a lineup that greatly lent itself to, to left-hand power hitters. And, and, frankly, our primary source of right-hand power was Nelson Cruz, who could hit him out of Yellowstone. So it doesn't matter where he's playing, which was obvious based on his 2015 season. But you know, we think that number will uh, come down some. It is still a very tough ballpark to, to hit home runs over the long haul. I don't think it was quite as friendly to the right-hand home run hitter. And, and frankly, we haven't changed our, our mind about the right type of team to, to play in Safeco Field or to, to sustain winning in Safeco Field. So, as, uh, we see the combination of a left-hand power-friendly team last year, in addition to a group of pitchers who, quite frankly, we knew going into the season were more oriented to the fly ball than the ground ball and had a penchant for giving up some homers. And you know, Unfortunately, there were a few more than, than we anticipated, but uh, for the most part, I think we wound up uh, getting more benefit out of it than our opponents. Though it was pretty close. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, uh, the the good thing about the the group that we're putting together this year is so many guys coming back off of really positive years. We did add a couple of ground ball guys, uh, particularly of note would be Mark Sepchinski, who is uh, I believe close to a seventy percent ground ball guy. And you know, I, I think the the pension for home runs in our bullpen was really notable. And you know, hopefully we're able to solve some of that. I, I do really like how our our outfield defense stacks up and, and let's force him to hit it over the wall to score a run. Run prevention, right? That is huge now. 
and it really, really has been. Jerry, 34, 35 trades since you took over this franchise in September of 2015 involving about 85 players. I think there's nine or ten guys remaining on the 40-man roster since then. Uh, did did you see that amount of wheeling and dealing when you when you surveyed the landscape here? And, and how close uh, is this ball club to being set after so many trades over the last uh, couple of off seasons? Uh, I guess first to start with the first question, yeah. You know, when I interviewed here in September of 2015, uh, and, and sometimes context is important. It, it's fair to remember that we had a 40-man roster at the time, uh, finishing the 2015 season. I think 14 of the 40 players were were just finishing up what was a negative war season, which is kind of hard to believe. Uh, but there were 14 players finishing a season where they were sub-replacement level in their performance, and there were another nine who were out of options and had yet to establish themselves at the big league level. So a lot of the turnover from 2015 to 2016 was effectively pending free agents, out-of-options players, and players who were, who were coming off of years, frankly, they struggled. And you know, that, that necessitates some degree of change, and we weren't shy about it. And I did, I did walk uh, ownership through the, the general idea when we started to make the roster moves. Frankly, I had no idea it would result in, in that many trades. Yeah. Uh, I, I would prefer it would have been one trade for for multiple players that would have solved our needs. But it's almost like a it's almost like a shell game where you're moving the shell and you're constantly trying to move down the field. And uh, you know, it's a moving in the roster piece, trying to figure out how one guy fits for a year, and and it might get you over a bridge, and it creates a, a window to get to the next player. And and that's that's effectively what we did. Noah, Nori Aoki and Adam Lind and, and Deho Lee, a variety of guys who came in and did a heck of a job for us on one-year deals. And for the most part, we knew that those players were, were more likely to be one-year fits. And, and we still have roughly the same core players with, you know, Cruz and Cano and Seeger and Felix and Kuma, uh, even some of the younger guys like Paxton and Zanino a lot of real familiar faces and and i talked for so long about getting younger more athletic and and building a team that we thought fit the ballpark and you know enter guys like gene segura and and now gerard dyson mitch hanniger ben gamble guillermo heredia uh really excited about this group i feel like we're a nice mix of veteran and young player we are a more sustainable product i believe and you know we're excited to see how it comes together and and, you know, put that together, what I think was what is a very improved bullpen, and, and it gives us all a lot of hope for 2017. Jerry, I believe last year, right when you had it all put together and heading into spring training, you said that uh, it was an 85, I believe, 87 win team on paper. If things broke right, you win more. If they break wrong, you win less. Do you have this team nailed down yet in a number since? Yeah, I'd love to tell you that it's a, that I can pick the number out of thin air, which which seemed to happen last year. I think we're a better team than we were last year. We're we're a, a deeper roster. We're more versatile. We can do different things. I, I don't think we changed dynamically from the, uh, the the offensive model. If anything, got more diverse without giving away the things that we were good at. Uh, so you know, you consider we we anticipate getting plus power from from 
catcher all the way around the infield for the position. And uh, we're not going to be a big power outfield, but we do anticipate getting some from Mitch Hanniger and, and a contribution from Leonis in center. And, and the, the the pitching staff, you know, by my mind, we finished third in the American League in ERA last year, and effectively to date we've changed two bodies, and uh, and we've built up a good deal of depth around the, the group. So if we can keep those front four starters healthy uh, and, and taking their turn every fifth day and, and the rest of the team does the things that they're going to do, really feel like this team, at least on paper, and, and unfortunately we don't get to play the games on paper, is every bit as good or better than the team we lined up last year. I thought that team was an 85-87 to 87 win team, and, and we needed some things to break our way, and unfortunately they really didn't. I think if things break our way this year, we have a chance to be better than that and potentially significantly better than that because of the upside of some of the young players. Just a couple of more minutes with Jerry DePoto. Jerry, after kind of the dust settled and everybody was able to take their take a deep breath after the end of last season, what were your conversations with first-year manager Scott Service like? You know, it's a, Scott, I thought Scott did a terrific job, and and I told him so. You know, by the end of the season, because of, of what a grind it was and the way we lost that last weekend, particularly that Saturday night game to Oakland, hey, everybody was emotionally toasted uh, for Sunday, and it was tough to have any type of productive conversation. Uh, you know, I know it, particularly you guys were there, and I know, Shannon, you probably saw Scott's face after that Saturday game. He was in no mood to reminisce about how the season went. <laughs> but, you know, we uh, we we did talk, and we spent a lot of time after after the season talking about all the different things that uh, that that he experienced for the first time. And you know, the one thing we kept coming back to was just Nelson Cruz and Robinson Cano, and how much easier they made his job. And you know, that's not something that we would have bet on or that we could have anticipated. But I think both of those guys really took a a, a market interest in, in helping Scott develop as a manager, allowing him to put his mark on, on the clubhouse. And, and in return, Scott gave them that freedom to, to kind of run the ship in there. And I, I think he did a remarkable job. We have talked for over a year now about the want to play a fast game. And uh, it's a spring training of 2016. We we let the, the dogs loose, so to speak. We ran, we ran around, we had fun, and it was an exciting game. Unfortunately, that 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 type of roster that we were able to, to throw out there with 58 players in spring training was unrealistic for us in the regular season. I think now we're closer to to the model that that both of us envisioned having when we got here, and, and you know we've talked about that a ton. And you know now what we talk about is is bullpen matchups and lineup machinations and uh, I talked to Scott last night and I think he is particularly excited to get to spring and and he's perfectly content with going to spring with the group we have now feels like we have a we have a good team well Jerry this is going to be a fun exciting season you've worked so hard over the last couple of months putting this ball club together engineering this franchise and not just the, the at the big league level but throughout the organization as well. It's exciting to see now the new guys with the uniforms on, the names on their backs, and I can't wait for spring training. Jerry, thanks so much for joining us tonight on our first edition of the 2017 Hot Stove uh, Show, and uh, we'll see you here real soon.
I look forward to it, guys. Thanks for having me. Jerry, thank you very much. General Manager Jerry DePoto of the Mariners, and we're going to be back with more here in the first hour of Hot Stove Baseball 2017, live from our 710 ESPN studios here in Seattle. We'll be back. We're cranking up the hot stove on the home of the Mariners, 710 ESPN Seattle and the 710 Seattle Sports app. All right, beginning to wind down the first hour of two here on Hot Stove 2017. Rick Ray, Shannon Dreyer, Aaron Goldsmith, producer-engineer Kevin Kremen, who just had uh, Jerry DePoto on here in the first hour. Uh, Shannon, what are your thoughts about the way this ball club is going to look, the way this ball club is going to play here in 2017 with the additions? I think year two, uh, I think tremendous progress made in the roster that Jerry DePoto has wanted to make. And I think the biggest difference that I see in putting it together last year and this year is you don't see the risk-reward players that we saw a year ago. You know, it was first year in, and you can only do so much, and you rolled the dice with, with a bunch of players. And the thing that was really great to learn about DePoto was that if it doesn't work, he was willing to move on exactly. fairly quickly. Yeah. So uh, I, I hope we don't have to see that as much this year, but when you look at the players that he brought in, much more established track records, most not coming off injury. And when I look at it, the only real risk-reward would be Gallardo, who had a tough season last mm-hmm. year with some extenuating circumstances, it would appear. So to me, that's very different, plus the influx of youth. We are going to yeah. see rookies in the lineup every day. I like Vogel back at first base, Hanniger, Hanniger right. in right field, Ben Gamble. And, uh, Aaron, your thoughts about uh, this ball club? I grew up in Chicago. We had the Go-Go White Sox. I don't know if we'll be the Go-Go White Sox of 19. Oh, I think it's the second kind, Rico. I think it's right there with them. They're going to run, and I love that brand of baseball. Sure. And, you know, one of the things that stood out talking with Jerry, I was curious and looking it up during the break when he talked about the home run ball, especially by Mariners relievers. Mariners' bullpen gave up the six most home runs last year in the majors. Of course, the Reds, remember the Reds' bullpen? It was like we were, we were tracking if they could break, and they did. They gave up over 100 home runs. The Mariners' bullpen, 71. And I remember having this conversation with Blow just very casually a year or two ago, and he and I were talking about, okay, you're pitching at Safeco Field. It's a pitcher's ballpark. You can get away with, a la Chris Young, a deep fly ball to the warning track and survive more times than not. Right there. all the Right there. Time. And so I and I kind of said to, to Mike, okay, well, if that's the case, do you really mind if you have a bunch of flyball pitchers? And we kind of kicked the can around the block a little bit, and the conclusion that uh, that we discussed and eventually came up with was, yeah, at Safeco Field where you play half your games, you could survive that, but you're going to play in some places where mm-hmm. you want the ground ball. The ground ball plays everywhere. So hearing him talk about uh, Zipchinski coming over in the bullpen, a guy with an extremely high ground ball rate, and a couple of the young potential starters that we could see maybe not in the rotation in April but maybe in the rotation as the season goes along you can tell that the emphasis there is there on keeping the ball on the ground and for Gallardo I looked up his numbers as well during the break and and he's right the ground ball rate was at one of the lowest in his career since about 2010 so I I think that's going to be something that we'll want to see if Gallardo can well, do whatever you have to do to keep the ball on the ground more. That's going to be certainly an emphasis. And that's uh, that's a great thing for the Mariners. If the pitchers can keep the ball on the ground, you got Seager there at third, who's already won a gold glove a few years ago. Segura did a nice job last year. Robbie Cano and uh, Valencia Volga back in first base. All right, time for our 40th anniversary trivia question. How about this? It's the 40th anniversary of the franchise, and here we go. Uh, the question tonight is, Edgar Martinez hit a grand salami, as Dave Niehaus called it, in the eighth inning to break a tie in Game 4 of the 1995 Division Series against the Yankees. 
who was on the mound for New York. The winner receives a Robbie Cano home replica jersey featuring a 40th anniversary commemorative patch that is going to be worn on all jerseys in 2017. Wear what the players wear. Call right now, 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. Who is on the mound for the Yankees when Edgar hit the Grand Slam Game 4 of the Division Series? Back with more and the winner after this. The Mariners make moves. Oh, what a trade with the Baltimore Orioles. Bolstering the rotation. Giovanni Gallardo. Adding speed. Dyson on at first base. There he goes. Pitch on the way. Inside a ball. It's safe at second is Dyson. Upgrading the outfield. Caught with a diving catch by Dyson. What's next for the Mariners? Time to talk some baseball. This is the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle. 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the second hour of Hot Stove Baseball 2017. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreyer, looking great tonight as usual. Aaron Goldsmith, producer-engineer Kevin Kremen, and Maddie Harden. It was great to have uh, Mariners GM Jerry DePoto on the first hour. And uh, now we get ready for the second hour of Hot Stove. Uh, a little bit later on, we're going to be visiting with Larry Stone of the uh, Seattle Times. But uh, also, we're going to catch up with Dan Altavella, young pitcher who did a really, really impressive job. First time around in the big leagues uh, last year, had an ERA of under one. But right now, let's talk about the trivia question. We're going to give you the answer. We're going to uh, and uh, tell you about the question before we give you the answer. The question was, Edgar Martinez hit a grand salami in the eighth inning to break a tie in game four of the 1995 Division Series against the Yankees. Who was on the mound for New York? And let's go to the audio vault for the answer. And John Wetland one more time set. And here comes the 2-2 pitch to Edgar Martinez now. And the fastball swung on and hit the deep center field. Bernie Williams goes back and it is. Get out the right bread and the mustard this time, Grandma. It is a grand salami. And the Mariners lead it 10-6. I don't believe it. My, oh, my. How about that? Kevin and I were sitting next to the man when he made that call. Dave Niehaus, uh, the one and only. Tremendous call. And beautifully I, engineered. Yes. <laughs> the, the levels, Kevin, were outstanding. So uh, Hall of Fame producer engineer Kevin Kremen. It's a little thing. It is. It's a little things. Uh, tremendous call by uh, David. And uh, we have a winner. Our winner is Andrew Brown, who knew the answer was John Wetland, who later on would become the pitching coach for the Mariners some years later. Andrew Brown from Seattle, congratulations. You're the winner of the Robinson Cano home replica jersey featuring the 40th anniversary commemorative patch. Congratulations to Andrew Brown, knowing that John Wetland was the guy that gave up that grand salami to Edgar Martinez. And, by the way, we'll we'll be talking more about Edgar a little bit later on in the show about his uh, Hall of Fame votes. Uh, He's getting a higher and higher percentage. All right, let's go on the road. The Mariners caravan kicked off yesterday. To uh, Eastern Washington, Mariner pitcher Dan Altavilla is on the road right now with guys from the Mariners Community uh, Relations Department. Dan, how you doing? And where are you, buddy? Hi, thanks for having me. 
Well, we're actually on the road to Spokane right now. Uh, we just left Wenatchee, so uh, we're doing well. What are you guys doing, uh, Wenatchee? Talking with the kids and talking about uh, the yeah. Dream Team? Right. Yeah, we started off in Yakima, and then we went to Wenatchee today. But uh, two similar days, we started off with an elementary school. Uh, we talked about the Dream Team, and um, it was great. The kids, kids were awesome. They were all excited to be there. They were all loving the moose. So. <laughs> He's and the we, hit uh, of the show. We stopped by uh, the radio station to do some liners, and then um, we finished off with the public uh, public appearance and uh, Q&As for the fans. Uh, fans are great. So we're all having a good time here. Dan, is this your first opportunity to be in that part of the state? Uh, it is. Yep, first time here, uh, first time in Yakima, first time in Wenatchee. Um, I actually played in Spokane whenever I was uh, with Everett, so it'll be nice to head back there for a little while. Okay, so you've done the past driving, probably without the snow, though. Yeah, minus the snow, but uh, Pittsburgh had some snow whenever I was there, so um, nothing new. Hey, Dan, this is Aaron. First of all, i, I got to say, judging by the pictures I've seen, put out by the Mariners on social media. I'm 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 disappointed, man. You, you got rid of the flow and that flow was it was fantastic last year, man. You're high and tight now. This we is knew couldn't compete this with is Gamble. um well Gamble is <laughs> tell me, have you have you tried and no but this is off the record. Have you tried to run your fingers through Gamble's hair yet? Because it's it's like the, it's like the mane of a prize winning horse, isn't it? It's incredible. Uh, yeah, it's incredible flow Gamble has uh yeah, I definitely didn't run my fingers through. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm just gonna, it, it looks incredible. And yours <laughs> last year, Dan, I'm just, I mean, it, I, I thought it was great, but you know, moving on. Uh, last year, Dan, <laughs> sensational work from you, making the jump from double-A to the big leagues. Uh, we, I remember, we all remember your debut in Chicago, and, you, man, you were pumping 100-plus like it was nothing. Uh, what stands out to you the most when you go back and think of, of last year? Um, I think something that's... Uh, stands out the most is just um, making that jump to the big leagues and you know going right after guys even though that it's a, it's on a bigger stage but you know just keeping my same mentality and not letting uh, the pressure get to me so I think that was the biggest part for me. I think it was the flow and your control that got you to the big leagues but uh, where did where did you get that uh, because only one walk last year 12 13 appearances the 10 strikeouts, you throw hard, you know, your velocity is way up there in the high 90s. You could reach triple digits. How did it all come together for you at Double A? What was the biggest difference? Um, it all started in um, in Double A whenever I was with my pitching coach, Andrew Lorraine. Um, I was messing around with the windup, and we finally scratched that and just went straight from the stretch. And right there, I got better direction and um, got a little more of my fastball and I was just able to lock in on the catcher's mitt a little bit more. So I think it all started right there whenever uh, I scratched the windup and went to the stretch. And that's been a big part of my success uh, last year. Dan, you were a starter prior to the start of last year. You, you begin your year in, in AA, and before you know it, you're in the big leagues. But what did you learn about the mentality of being a reliever? A little bit different coming in in the middle of the game than it is at the beginning, let alone at the big league level. What was the progression of that as you were learning in the transition in the minors and then when you got to the big leagues? Right. It, that was definitely a little bit of adjustment for me uh, coming into a game where you know guys are on base and Know, a critical point in the game where you you want to leave them stranded. So I think it just took a little bit of time um, 
coming in and getting that first pitch strike out of the way. But once I got more comfortable out out there on the mound, uh, not really worrying about the runners too much. But uh, yeah, getting that first pitch strike was big for me. And, you know, I just really ran with it and went from there, uh, especially in the big leagues. Joined by Dan Altavilla on the Mariners caravan, as you might be able to tell, he's uh, making his way across the pass. And Dan, when you think back to last season, and we mentioned you make the big jump, just like Edwin Diaz did uh, from Jackson to Seattle, who was the one guy that really stands out to you that, that helped to kind of take you under their wing and do everything from from to show you where the bus picks you up at the hotel to just how, how to be a big leaguer. Um, right. I, I can't really single one guy out because everyone in the bullpen, they were tremendous guys. That, I mean, as soon as I walked in, they were just open arms and took me under their wing. Um, see Anywhere from C-Shack, Vincent, Scribner, uh, Vendetti, he helped me out a lot. And, um, you know, just the combination of everybody. Um, even if I had any questions, I would just go to them guys and they'd be happy to answer for me. So, you know, I don't want to single out one guy because everyone in the bullpen really helped me out. Did Pat try to get you to throw left-handed? <laughs> <laughs> he did. I actually played catch with him every day. Um, he, um, C-Sheck and I, C-Sheck would get his right arm, not get his left arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Hey, Dan. Uh, it was a good experience. Yeah. Danny, last year there were some really good stories with young players, and, and you were definitely one of them making that jump from double-A. But a guy with you at double-A was Edwin Diaz, who was starting. And all of a sudden, on May the 10th, they said, you know what, you're going to start relieving. What was it like to see yourself, along with Edwin Diaz, play such a big role in the bullpen at the big leagues? You know, I was so happy for uh, Diaz whenever he made that transition uh, to the bullpen because I know he had that extra that – extra, um, that extra in the tank whenever he'd come out there and he'd be throwing 99 to 101, just blowing guys away in double A. And whenever he went up to the big leagues and he was just dominating, that's whenever I knew that, you know, he was just with me. And, you know, if I just keep the right mindset that I could go up there and do the same thing he's doing. And uh, I'm really happy and fortunate that it worked out. Well, Danny, you did a great job last year. We're looking forward to what you're going to add to this bullpen in 2017 it's going to be a lot of fun this year enjoy the rest of the caravan i'm going to be joining up with you guys uh, tomorrow in spokane so uh have a have a great time on the rest of the caravan buddy thanks for joining us tonight all right thank you very much for having me look Mar- forward to seeing you all right mariner reliever dan altavella we're going to be back with uh, i think one of the best writers in the game of baseball covering the mariners for such a long time larry stone from the seattle times a lot to talk about and cover with larry including the Baseball Hall of Fame balloting. We'll be back with Larry right after this timeout. The Hot Stove on the home of the Mariners, 710 ESPN Seattle and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Say, friends, the time is now to join the club as a Mariners season ticket holder. Lock in the best seats at the best prices to catch all of the action at Safeco here in 2017, just right around the corner. For more information on the many benefits you're going to enjoy as a season ticket holder, log on to Mariners.com slash 17. Get your season tickets. It's going to be a fun and exciting season. Rick Rich, Shannon Dreher, Aaron Goldsmith, producer-engineer Kevin Kremen, right now on the radio with us, I think one of the best writers in the game of baseball, Larry Stone from the Seattle Times. And, Larry, uh, a lot going on as the teams are getting ready. Here it is early January. Spring training is right around the corner. But I want to talk to you about 
the Hall of Fame balloting in Edgar Martinez, who has been picking up steam. He's gone from 27% to 44% last year. Right now he's at 67.4%. How has Edgar gained that momentum over the last uh, couple of years? And, by the way, welcome to the show, buddy. (laughs) Thanks. Great to hear your voices, all three of you. It reminds me that my favorite time of the year, spring training, is about a month away, so I'm uh, I'm real excited about that. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a few things going on with, with Edgar. Uh, you know, I think part of it is that there's just more room on the ballot. That's been an issue for a few years. You know, they, they, we've talked about this before. The ballots have stacked up over, over the last seven or eight years as guys, you know, so, some guys with steroids connections, they get enough votes to stay on the ballot, but they don't get enough to get in, you know, specifically Bonds and, and Clemens. So, you know, you're only allowed to vote for 10. And I think Edgar was was uh, was knocked off the ballot by a few uh, people who wanted to vote for him but didn't have room. And then last year, Piazza and Junior got in. Uh, you know, Alan Trammell uh, was no longer on the ballot because he's, his 15 years were up. So, so there was maybe some spots that opened up. Uh, I think the David Ortiz uh, DH uh, farewell tour uh, helped Edgar in the fact that, you know, there was a lot of talk about how uh, Big Poppy was going to be uh, a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer, which got people looking at Edgar. Uh, if Ortiz can make it as a DH, and if you really study Edgar's stats, I know a lot of people have uh, argued uh, with me on this, but in a lot of ways his stats are the equal of or superior to Ortiz if you look beyond the home runs, uh, you know, the, the counting numbers. Um, and then there's been a lot of people who have uh, on the Internet have made really persuasive cases uh, for Edgar to go in. They've, they've crunched his numbers, some really good writers like Jay Jaffe of Sports Illustrated and Jonah Carey, uh, Joe Posnanski. They've all advocated for uh, Edgar, along with a lot of people here in Seattle, and I think uh, you know that helps. That's how Burt Blylevin got in in his uh, last try or next to last try, with a lot of people just starting making started making his case and won over won over a lot of people. So it all bodes well for, you know, it looks like he's going to get into the 60s this year. Which, you know, I would have uh, when we had this conversation last year, I, I frankly thought he, that Edgar had no chance. You know, his eligibility went down from 15 years to 10 years. They changed the rule. You know, Trammell was grandfathered in at 15, as is Lee Smith, who's it's his last year. But, you know, Edgar has this year, next year, and the year after, and I didn't think he had a chance. But if he gets into the 60s, uh, which is, looks like he's going to now, he's just right on the doorstep. And, you know, with a tremendous amount of momentum building, I suddenly really like his chances now. Larry, I like them, too, and one of the fun things to watch, and I'm sure you follow uh, Ryan Thibodeau on Twitter because he's got the, at not Mr. Tibbs, he's got the kind of end of all and uh, Hall of Fame trackers and to see the numbers coming in, but you you also see the ballots of those who make them public, and to see guys that you mentioned talking to people, but to see uh, John Heyman, Scott Miller, Danny Nobler, all of these people, they never voted for him before. I know I've had conversations with all of them, yet this year is the year. You, you know that word of mouth it is you know that conversations are going on and all that's helping. Uh, what are the conversations that you've had with people? Yeah, Shannon, I actually I wrote a column about two weeks ago, and I, I tried to call every, every person who had, at that time uh, had changed their vote to add Edgar to find out why. And, you know, I just gave you a lot of the reasons that I heard from these guys. I talked to quite a few, probably a dozen. Uh, 
and there's been now it's up to 30, uh, you know, of the known 185 ballots that Ryan Thibodeau, who you just mentioned, has tabulated. Uh, more Edgar's had more additions this year than anybody. The the next closest is Tim Raines at 25, and Raines is probably going to go into the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, but yeah, and I, you know, you're right. There's there is a mo- uh, I think it builds upon himself. Nobody wants to vote. You know, there's some subconscious things I think that go on <laughs> voters when, when a guy when a guy starts to pick up momentum like that. You look at it and think, well, what's ever what am I missing? And you you give it another look, and you know if. It, Guys at ten or twenty percent, nobody kind of wants to throw away their vote, even if you know if it's a borderline thing. Uh, I think that that plays into it. So the more the more momentum he gets, the more momentum that builds, and I think that's going to continue to grow. And the, the the other thing that 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 bears mentioning, I think, is that uh, I've seen this before, and it's been documented. As you get into the final years on the ballot, uh, voters realize that this is now or never. You know, and you give it a much closer look, and I think you give the guy the benefit of the doubt. You know, Orlando Cepeda, I remember, uh, because I was, uh, you know, following that story closely when I worked in the Bay Area. Uh, I think his next to the last or last time on the ballot, he surged and, and got in. Uh, you know, Reigns is his last year on the ballot, Bly Levin. Uh, you see it in a, in a lot of cases where, uh, you know, you can't, you can't – you can't just say, okay, he'll get in next year. I'll look at him next year. It's 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 the time of reckoning, and that's nearing for Edgar. You've got, like I said, next year and the year after. So I think that will help him pick up some support as well. Hey, Stoney, it's Aaron. Happy New Year, man. Thanks for joining us here Yeah, today. you too, Aaron. Good to talk to you. Hey, I'm curious. You you had the chance to, to be around Edgar, to cover Edgar uh, for, for so many years, and I'm curious any stories that you might have uh, that stand out to you about Edgar uh, that maybe never went to press or maybe even did go to press. Uh, but <laughs> we, we know we we love spending time with Edgar. Uh, that is when we when we can because he's in the film room or in the cage uh, about 23 hours a day, it seems like. But is there anything that stands out to you when you think back to Edgar? Obviously, his performance on the field stands out. But is, is there anything else about Edgar the guy uh, that, that well, stands the, out? Yeah, you know, one thing that does stand out, Aaron, is I, I had the tremendous uh, – uh, privilege in 2001, I believe it was. I'm almost positive it was. The uh, um, the uh, Alex had, had left uh, the Mariners, and and tech, the Texas Rangers opened the season in Puerto Rico, the first game ever played there. So the the Seattle Times sent me to Puerto Rico to cover that because you know it's first game after leaving the Mariners and. And while I was there, I arranged this with Edgar to go to his hometown of Dorado, to go to his old neighborhood, to go. Uh, he set me up with relatives who still lived there. And so I best basically spent a day in his neighborhood, uh, you know, a real it, it, lower class, poor neighborhood, and went to his family home, met his friends, went to the to the stand where he used to get, uh, you know, uh, um, rice and beans, and um, you know, uh, it's just a tremendous day. And and the people that I met were so gracious, and uh, you know, you could see uh, where he got his, uh, you know, his, you know, the the, the manner that that you know uh, made everybody love him here in Seattle. So I really felt I got to know know him and where he came from and his story. Uh, far greater after spending that that day and part of the next day in dorado uh, puerto rico so many great stories with edgar he told me the one where his parents were moving the family to new york and he didn't want to go 
he hid on the roof of his house. They couldn't find him. And so the mom and dad were looking all over for him. They finally found him, and the grandparents said, listen, he doesn't want to go. Let him stay here in Dorado. We'll take care of him. Mom and dad and the brother went to uh, to New York, and Edgar stayed, stayed there hiding on the roof. Eventually he came down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, 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 I that story. delved into that story when I wrote this piece. Uh, I went into the backyard where him and uh, – and his Carmelo his uh, cousin doesn't. Carmelo would would hit rocks, you know, <laughs> bat around rocks, and he would yeah. even uh, uh, he would even hit raindrops, raindrops with a broomstick, down. yeah, with, falling off the with a broomstick or a bat, you know, yeah. that's how he honed his batting eye. So, uh, and I, I I distinctly remember going to this like this little cafe kind of place, and it was just uh, it had pictures of Edgar all all over the place. He was a hero in his town. Uh, there were pictures of him with uh, Team Puerto Rico from, from the Dominican, uh, from the uh, uh, Winter League. And um, just, uh, uh, you know, years later, he, he, he would come back every year and have a, a fundraising event. I'm sure he still does. Um, and he's just a hero in that town. Yeah, we love him here. I was driving north on I-5, and I see the sign, Edgar Martinez Drive. Right there at I-5, and there there it is, Edgar Martinez Drive. Okay, uh, I'd love to see this guy get in for all kinds of reasons. Who's uh, Who are the other guys on your ballot, Larry? Who's going to get in? Well, I think uh, this that this is a, this is yet another thing, Rick, that bodes well for uh, for for Edgar is that it, there's five guys who are on the borderline of getting in, and if if they if even three get in, it will clear the ballot even yeah. more next year and leave some space for him to, you know. Uh, for the for the ones who use all the ten spots, which isn't everybody, but is a, but a pretty big uh, uh, percentage. So the more they get in, the better it is for Edgar. But you know, Jeff Bagwell and Tim Raines are almost locks to get in. They're both over ninety percent on the uh, Thibodeau, uh list. Uh, Vlad Guerrero and Pudge Rodriguez, who are first timers on the ballot, they're both right at. 74, 75 percent. Actually, Rodriguez, uh, Pudge Rodriguez is even higher at about 80 percent. And then you got Trevor Hoffman, who is uh, right now at 73 percent. But I think he's got a real good shot. So there's five guys. I voted for I voted for all five of those. Uh, you know, I voted for Bonds and Clemens. We can we can have that debate. But I, I'm, you know, I voted for them every time they've been on the ballot. Musina and and Schilling and. Uh, uh, is that ten? I voted for ten. I, I think I, I th- and Edgar. I think I named yeah. the, the the ten that I voted for there. Oh yeah, that's ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Edgar was the first name I checked. <laughs> yeah. Good job, Larry. Was the first name I checked, except for last year when Griffey was the first name I checked. Talk to some of your brethren about checking that box there for Edgar Martinez. Visiting with Larry Stone from the Seattle Times. More baseball to talk with one of the best writers in the game of baseball. We'll be back with Larry right after this. Back to the hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming everywhere and on demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Our first hot stove show of 2017 continues. Winding down the second hour with uh, Larry Stone from the Seattle Times. Rick Riz, along with Shannon Dreher and Aaron Goldsmith and uh, producer engineer Kevin Kremen. Larry, um, still a lot going on in baseball. Jerry Depoto has been as busy as anybody in the game. A lot of changes, recent trades, uh, Gallardo coming over from Baltimore, Dyson coming over from the Kansas City Royals. 
Uh, more speed in that lineup. We talked with Jerry in the first hour. Uh, what do you think about the Go-Go Mariners this year? <laughs> yeah, it's not what we're used to seeing, but with uh, Dyson and Segura, I think they combined for 63 stolen bases last year. So, Throwing you know, uh, yeah. uh, the disruption on the bases uh, can't, you know, can't do anything but help when you've got the uh, the big boppers behind them and Seager, Cruz, and, and Cano. So, uh, you know, that's I think that's what the kind of team Jerry envisioned when he took the job. He talked about getting more athletic and and faster, and certainly they have an out, an outfield now that's uh, that's both uh, that, that that fits both those those categories and should be really good defensively as as well. Uh, you know, there's a question in my mind. You've got a couple of rookies that are going to be playing prominent roles in Hanniger and Vogelbach. Uh, you know, we've got to see that their minor league numbers are good, but they still have to, to to show it at the major league level. And those guys are going to be a huge, uh, you know, a huge key for this team, I think. Larry, a year ago this time, I think Jerry probably was on move number 40 since taking over. But, uh, you know, the biggest move was hiring the manager. And we just had so many questions because we didn't know. We hadn't seen it yet. I, uh, how are these two going to operate? How are they going to operate together? What is the impact going to be on the team? And, and what's this team going to look like? I, how do you sum up everything that we saw from DePoto and Service in their first year? And what questions were answered for you? Well, yeah, you know, Service, I I did have questions. This is a guy that had never managed you know, not just at the major league level, but really at any level. But uh, I've got to say that he did win me over. Uh, he, I thought he handled the team extremely well. Uh, he got them to buy in to, to, to all the things that he was preaching, the togetherness and the cohesiveness and all that stuff and, the, uh, you know, own the zone or – I can't, I can't remember now what that expression was. Control the zone. Uh, That's a good one, though. I like, the zone. The zone. I like owning the zone. Own that thing. Edgar did. <laughs> he, he sure did. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, I think he just, by the, by the end of the season, uh, he, he was acting like a guy who had managed for, for, for quite a while. You know, as for, as for DePoto, he, he had a, not an easy task. He had to pretty much... And it's still a work. It's still a work in progress. Kind of reshape the team into, uh, you know, his his image, his his uh, uh, vision. And you, you don't do that overnight. He was the, the, the handicapped with the fact that they have a. I mean, let's be honest about it. The, the minor league system right now is not teeming with prospects, so that makes it hard both to replenish the major league talent and to use his trade chips. So he's had to work around that and be creative and. You know, last year was a uh, was a step in the right direction, and now now we'll see what year two holds. Now, Stoney, last year the national perspective on Felix was one of just great demise, right? People would point at his walk rate increasing for what was the third straight year, his strikeout rate decreasing, of course, landing on the disabled list, which is something we're just not used to seeing from Felix. So his incredible streak of 30-plus starts and 200 innings came to a close I'm not totally sure what to expect from Felix this year. I know he'll be he'll be fired up to make amends from last season, uh, but obviously command was the biggest issue in my eyes, even more so than what people would want to point to at any drop in velocity. Uh, what did you see for Felix last year, and what are you hoping, or what do you what do you think we're going to see from the King uh, come this season? Yeah, you know, you, you're right. Yeah, I think you've hit you've hit it, Aaron. I mean, if I were to name all the 
the, the, the critical points for the Mariners. I, I put that number one is can Felix come back and be Felix again or, or, or close to Felix? Because if not, that's a, you know, that was the one thing that you could pencil in at the beginning of every season. Well, they have a number one pitcher though. Now let's see what the, what they can do around that. And last year, you know, he wasn't the number one dominant guy that he had been. Uh, and I think he touched on a lot of it. There was the health issue, which he had been healthy up until last year, and, and he had the, the leg injury. Uh, the velocity declined. The command com- uh, declined. Um, you know, I, I, I think that the last time I remember him having an offseason where there were so many questions, I still remember when he came to that spring training luncheon that the Mariners throw and he walked in there and uh, everybody kind of gasped just because of how, you know, how good he looked and the physical condition he was in. He had dedicated himself. This was early in his career after, you know, the, the really the one off year that he had in his career up until last year. And then I think he became a Cy Young runner-up that year, and then won it the, the year after that. Uh, and I think we'll see if he. I think it's, it's the off-season that's going to require the sort of the same sort of commitment and dedication from him. Uh, and I think he's a prideful guy that will take that to heart, and you know work hard. I think he needs probably to work harder to get back into shape and and commit himself and. Uh, so you know, I still think that you know his his stuff is still there. You know, maybe the, even if the velocity is down, the movement, if he can just get the command, uh, he can still be an extremely effective pitcher. I think. Larry, last year the ball club was so close to getting to the playoffs, just two wins away. Every game was relevant last year, except game one sixty two, the tough loss, game one sixty one against the Oakland A's at home last year as you just mentioned felix was on the dl for six weeks didn't have felix for six weeks and he wasn't felix in the second half uh taiwan walker struggled norioki didn't have his typically great on-base percentage in the first half of the season came on in the second half didn't have packs in the first two months uh and, and a number of other stories a, a kid eventually would get to this ball club and become the closer of the team uh, in edwin diaz and they were still just two wins away from the playoffs. Besides Felix being Felix, what else has to go right for this ball club to get to the playoffs for the first time since 2001? Well, Rick, I think the the rest of the rotation has to coalesce around Felix. You know, uh, there there's there's a few questions even beyond Felix. Uh, you know, Iwakuma is 36. He had a really good year last year. But he's got a lot of wear and tear on his arm. You know, Paxton has yet to do it for a full year. We talked to we talked to length about Gallardo, uh, and then you know the number five spots still kind of up in the air. So I think the the, the number one thing for me is that the rotation has to solidify. Uh, you know, having Diaz in the closing job from the beginning will should should strengthen that. Uh, we'll have to see how the the setup relief uh, builds around it. But they have a lot of you know, there's a lot of good arms. Altavia, uh, uh, Cishek, when he's healthy, um, and and a few others. Uh, and as I mentioned before, I, I, you know, I still have I still have to see it from the from the two young guys that they're counting on pretty heavily, uh, Vogelbach and Hanniger. And you know, Zunino is another question. Uh, I liked what I saw for the most part last year, but he still, you know, he still needs to get that average up. He's got. He's got the defensive skills. He's got the power. 
really all he needs to do is hit in the 230 or 240 range. But, you know, and I do think he has that in him, but he's also, you know, still still hasn't done it. Uh, so, you know, there's a few questions, but you still have that strong core that uh, a lot of teams would kill for in Seager, Cano, and Cruz, and now you've added Segura. With the with the guys that I mentioned earlier, we all mentioned the, uh, Dyson and the and the running game that they they could have now. So it could be a dynamic offense. Um, but to answer your question, uh, that was a long-winded answer. But I think that to, for me, the number one question to really put this team over the top is for the rotation to come together. We're visiting with Larry Stone of the Seattle Times, and Larry, we just have a couple more minutes. But I'm I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts. Uh, such a good feeling around baseball uh, after the playoffs, the World Series. Uh, viewership was up. Good things happened. They got through the labor with, with no problems. How do they kind of pick up on this momentum? What do you look for and what would you like to see in baseball kind of moving forward as far as just kind of picking up from what how the year ended and kind of the excitement you saw around the game? Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 big thing is, for for a good year for me is a lot of good tight pennant races parity uh you know uh and a pitch block larry is that what you're going to say and a pitch block and i think that's uh i think that's where baseball has been headed the last few years is you know it used to have the the baseball used to have this reputation as oh the same team win it's all all about the money and money certainly helps but there's been a lot of diversity in in teams that have contended you've had you know, you've had lower budget teams like the, you know, Indians don't have a huge payroll. You know, the Rays have been in the World Series, et cetera. And I think it, I think now that the parity is the best I've seen it, you know, in, in many, many years. And, uh, you know, I, I think to me, that's the, the, the number one thing. There's a lot of, and there's a, the other thing is there's a lot of good young stars in the, in the game right now. It's kind of like uh, a golden era for young talent, a, a sort of a transition to the new group of superstars, and I think that bodes well as well. And in 2016, the story, the Chicago Cubs finally won their World Series, 108 years, Larry. That, that yeah, fun. that was incredible. Uh, you know, now now we have the Red Sox have theirs, and the and the Cubs have, have theirs. And Curses are it was gone. an amazing World Series. That Game 7 is, 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 oh. was an all-timer. You know, when Rajay Davis hit that home run, I, I thought the Indians were going to actually do it and come back and win that thing. But uh, the, the Cubs held on. And, I, you know, I, I think that was really good for baseball, just, uh, just like when the Red Sox won it in 2004. That galvanized everybody. Uh, so, um yeah, I'm sure as a Chicago guy, uh, Rick, you yeah. were a White Sox guy, though, right? I was both. I came home okay. from school. My mother was a huge Cub fan. Yeah, I was both, and I was glad to say uh, because right. when I came home from school, the game was on. My mother was a huge Cub fan. She loved Ron Santo and Ernie Banks, and then my dad comes home, and we watch the White Sox. We listen on the radio at night. I had the best of both worlds. Hey, when you're six, seven years old, it said Chicago on the jersey. And I loved them both. And uh, folks on the north side of really. Well, I'm sure you were you were ecstatic then to watch that. I was for my mother, you know, <laughs> there in uh, baseball heaven. But uh, Larry, thank you so much. I, I I'm excited about this year. Can't wait to see you at spring training. Thanks for joining us tonight, buddy. My pleasure, guys. Thanks a lot. Larry Stone from the Seattle Times, and we'll be back with more to wind down our first edition of Hot Stove Baseball here in 2017. 
right after this. Spring training will be here before you know it. Time to talk some baseball on the hot stove. On the home of the Mariners, 710 ESPN Seattle and the 710 Seattle Sports app. And we've been talking baseball for the last two hours here on Hot Stove 2017. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. And talk about fun. Mariners Fan Fest is right around the corner. Head to Safeco Field Saturday, January 28th, and Sunday the 29th, where you're going to enjoy great experiences, including running the bases with the kids, touring the Mariners Clubhouse, playing catch in the outfield, and more. Plus, some of your favorite Mariners are going to be on hand for autographs and photo opportunities. Tickets are 10 bucks. And free for kids 14 and under. Pick up yours right now at Mariners.com slash FanFest. Some of the players going to be at FanFest. Gene Segura, the Mariners' new shortstop. Leonis Martin, fine year last year. James Paxton, Mitch Hanniger, Danny Valencia, and uh, new Mariners starting pitcher, Giovanni Gallardo, is going to be there. Folks, I want to just uh, talk for a minute about a story that was on television about a week ago concerning the Rainier Beach High School baseball program. They could really, really use our help. Uh, They've had very, very little funding down through the years. I had the pleasure of meeting their head baseball coach, Gerald Smiley, talked to him about a week ago, and we got together today at Safeco Field. And uh, their needs are very, very great for uh, their program, bats, balls, uniforms, and other equipment to have these kids have a chance to play at the high school baseball level. Our Toys for Kids charity was very successful this year. Shannon, you were there, Kevin, Aaron. And uh, so we made a donation uh, to help out uh, the Rainier Beach High School program. And uh, Gerald Smiley is just an incredible, incredible person. Uh, Pitched in the minor leagues with the Rangers organization. He really has a passion to help out these kids. And uh, he is spearheading a drive to help bolster the baseball program at Rainier Beach High School. And if you would like to help, I'm going to tell you about this website where you can go to help donate. Uh, It's www.gofundme.com slash Rainier Beach Baseball. If you can help out head coach uh, Gerald Smiley, the kids at Rainier Beach High School, it would be greatly, greatly appreciated. So uh, go to that website, gofundme.com slash Rainier Beach Baseball, and help out these kids and help uh, Coach Smiley because he's a – Incredible, incredible uh, coach, and he's going to really help these kids. So, uh, Hot Stove Baseball winding down. First show of the year. Shannon, I can't believe it. Aaron, how quickly the show has gone, how quickly the holidays have come and gone, and now it's time for spring training. It's time to get down there in the sun in Pierre, Arizona, and get ready for another season. Yeah, we've still got a couple of weeks before we see it, but uh, it's just so exciting in that you, you follow it all off season, you see it on paper, you have in your mind what it can be, and then you have that first opportunity to see it out on the field. And we're going to see something very different. There'll be a lot of familiar faces, there'll be a lot of new faces as well, but we're going to see some serious competition for spots. We, we've talked about the fifth starter spot. Yeah. There will be some bullpen competition as well, and bench competition. Too. There are a number of players that have been picked up that, you know, yeah. for that last spot on the roster, they all bring different things and good things to the table, and that'll be a battle as well. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And then we're going to see some young players. We are going to see some de- development at the big league level, but it, it's going to have, uh, you know, what Jerry DePoto calls nets. You know, if this doesn't work out, we can do this, or if they need more time, we can do that. There's going to be com- competition between those young players for the spots. Just a very different look spring training, I think, this year. Exactly. At first base, Aaron, you have Dan Vogelback. And to help out, you have Danny Valencia. In right field, you have Mitch Hanniger. 
who uh, Jerry said was a key part of that trade with the Diamondbacks for Taiwan Walker, besides getting Gene Segura. So, yeah, the youth is out there. They're going to get a chance to play, and it's going to be fun to watch these kids along with the veterans. I think one face that we're all going to be excited to see on a more regular basis uh, when you take a look at this season and spring training, Scott Brocious, now a yeah. full-time member of the Mariners coaching staff. Of course, last year's first year with the Mariners system, the Rainiers hitting coach, and, and Scott received this grand publicity because of Mike Zanino and, and Mike very publicly uh, thanking Scott for his work with Scott or with all of our conversations with Scott. Uh, just a, just an incredible guy, a, a wonderful human being to be around. So for his baseball acumen and also for just being a good guy, we're going to appreciate having Scott Brocious around. I think yeah, we can finally forgive the, the Yankees aspect. <laughs> yeah, we can forgive them. Yeah, no yeah. problem at all. It's nice to have him in America. A teacher, too, which is great. He's, he's definitely a teacher. Alongside Edgar Martinez. And when Edgar took over as heading coach last year, the club was hitting about 238. And from the time he took over, the club hit around 270. Before he took over, the club was averaging 3.3 runs a game, and they averaged 4.5 runs a game since he took over. So it's all about, you know, thinking about, okay, what do I have to do from the time you leave the index circle to the time you get into that batter's box? And nobody did it better than Edgar Martinez, and especially in Game 5 of the American League Division Series, when in the ninth inning, Jack McDowell struck him out on a fork ball. In the 11th inning, with Joey on at third base and Junior on at first base. He was waiting for the fork ball. He got it, hit the double, the biggest hit in our history. So it's going to be fun watching those two guys work together and have Casey Candell <laughs> at first base. We're going to have to check in with him pretty soon, aren't we? Yeah. Cap, we're yeah, have to we're have to check in. He's, I'm sure he's having clear, a very clear the interesting offseason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I can't say enough about the coaching staff last year. And to see them all come back and to add Scott Brocious, just absolutely fantastic. That was a great group. Yeah. I think it's going to be a heck of a year. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Everybody is optimistic, obviously, heading into spring training. But uh, it's going to be fun because I think what they did so well before they walked on the field, Aaron, last year, where they had those get-togethers and get to know one another at 9 o'clock in the morning in the clubhouse. And yeah, I think that will continue this year. Is that going to happen yeah. again? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to happen. It's good. You're going to be a world reporter. You're going to give us the Italy report, uh, Rico. You're going, to, you're going to hop in there every once in a while? Let us know I, what's going on in the homeland. I don't think they'll let me in the clubhouse <laughs> at that point, but if they want anybody, you know, from uh, Cosenza, Italy, my grandparents were from there, I'll, I'll tell them what's going on and talk about how to make a good lasagna. Maybe you can be the pool shark. Oh, wait, that's Edgar. Yeah. Yeah. And Tony Zick, he was pretty good. That's a guy. Edgar Hopefully won the tournament, I think. Edgar's good at everything. <laughs> Un- unbelievable. we got to wrap things up. The second uh, hour is gone. It flew by. We had uh, Jerry DePoto in the first hour. We had Larry Stone in the second talking about the Hall of Fame and a lot to talk about as we get ready for spring training. Channing, thank you so much for being here tonight. Aaron Goldsmith, producer engineer Kevin Kremen, and the one and only Matty Harden over there. I'm Rick Riz. We will see you next Tuesday. The caravan is going on. We're going to have a lot of fun. So long, everybody.